Well, today we're continuing, actually finishing our series entitled Samson. We'll be in that in just a moment. Go ahead and pull out your Bibles. Judges chapter 16 is where we're going to be. Also, in your bulletins that you receive, grab out your bulletin notes, and we'll follow along in the sermon in just a moment. As we are doing, I want to ask you a question, but I want to go ahead and forewarn you. Look straight ahead, especially the guys in here. Look straight ahead. All of the ladies in here, look straight ahead. Eye contact here. Don't nudge your neighbor to the left or the right, especially if you're sitting by your spouse. Here is the question. Have you ever known somebody who had what we would call a pride problem? Anybody ever known anybody who had a look straight ahead, don't look to your neighbor, but you say, man, I know somebody who has a pride problem. For some of you, you'd say, yeah, my spouse When we get in an argument, they never know how to just come around and say they're sorry. They never admit that they're wrong. They have a pride problem. For others of you, it's a family member. Yeah, 20 years ago, we had an argument, and every time we have a family reunion, you could cut the tension with a knife, but they haven't apologized. They have a pride problem. For others of you, it's a boss. Maybe he or she, man, you're thinking to yourself, man, they're so prideful. They're so boastful. They have a pride problems. It is always easy and always easy to identify pride problems in other people. But what about when we in our own lives face pride problems? If we're honest, we sometimes have problems with pride. Men in the place, guys. We are known for having problems with pride. An example of that, back when they used to not have this thing called GPS, you may not fit into this stereotype, but there was a stereotype that guys never wanted to stop and ask for directions. Let's face it, even though you do have GPS, some of us guys still don't want to listen to the directions of the GPS. And when we don't listen, our pride problem gets us into trouble. Or take, for example, a stereotype that when we have to put things together, whether it is a play set that you got at Christmas time for your kiddo, or you go to Ikea and you find one of those pieces of furniture that has like a thousand pieces, you refuse to look at the instructions because you have a pride problem. And you put that thing together and by the end of the time you're finished, there's like six or seven pieces still remaining. But you don't want anybody to know about it. You hope the piece just doesn't fall apart and you go put those extra parts into a junk drawer only for another day where your wife opens up that junk drawer and you find that your pride problem has got you in trouble. We deal with pride problems. Us guys, we deal with it on our job, in our relationships, sometimes even in our sports or our hobbies. Don't be lying. You know you didn't actually have that score on golf. You just have a pride problem. And it's not just us guys. Women sometimes have pride problems too. This is an absolutely true story that just happened yesterday. I'm not making this up. Leah's not in. Yes, he is actually. I'm going to be in trouble, but that's all right. (laughs) I just saw her standing in the back. Pray for me, everybody, and intercede just right now. So yesterday, as I was finishing up the series, I wrote all these things that guys have pride problems with, and I turned to Leah, and I said, Leah, help me out. What are some of the pride issues that, Leah, that, that women have? And she said, well, I can't think of any. Pride problem. That's all I'm going to say. It's kind of like the guy who says, man, 
I'm, hum- I'm not proud and I'm humble enough to admit it, right? Again, pride problem. Pride is when we think more highly of ourselves than we should. Pride is when we do our own thing, when we think that we know best. This morning, I want to share with you a message simply entitled, From Pride to Purpose. See, one thing, when pride starts to mess with our relationships, it's one thing when pride causes us to go in the wrong direction when we're driving down the road. But it's a whole different level when pride begins to mess with our purpose. Today we're finishing up our series entitled Samson. In this series, we've been looking at the story of Samson in a fresh and a new way. As you're turning to Judges chapter 16, the story of of Samson is found from Judges 13 through Judges 16. If you've not been with us in our series, a real quick background of the book of Judges. In the book of Judges, we find that Israel, the people of God, find themselves in a repetitive cycle of sin. Israel would serve the Lord and they would walk in the favor of the Lord. And all of a sudden, they would fall to sin and idolatry. Because of sin and idolatry, they would be enslaved. They would cry out to God and God would send a deliverer in the form of a judge. See, at this time, Israel had no king. They were ruled by a set of judges. They would cry out, God would send a deliverer, and they would walk into freedom, only to repeat the cycle again and again and again. The book of Judges spans the, about 300 years in the history of Israel. And through those 300 years, God raises up a series of 12 different judges. And perhaps the most famous of all the judges is this guy we've been looking at by the name of Samson. God had raised up Samson to rescue the nation of Israel. By this time, the nation of Israel had been under enslavement to the Philistines for over 40 years. And Samson is raised up and given a great purpose in his life, a purpose to be the deliverer of God's people But Samson is one of those guys who has a problem with pride. And that problem with pride threatens to derail him from his God-given purpose. Before Samson was ever even born, God comes to his parents. And he comes to his parents. His mom is barren and, and says, you're going to have a son and his name is going to be Samson. And he is to be set apart for my purpose. Being set apart meant that he would take a Nazarite vow for the entirety of his life. A Nazarite vow consisted of three things. Because he was set apart for God's purpose, he would never drink alcohol. He would never touch a a thing that is dead. And that he would never let his hair be cut. Three vows. But as we've learned in this series, Samson had what we would call an eye. Eye problem. Again and again throughout the book of Judges 13 through 16, as you look at the story of Samson, it says that again and again he would do what was right in his own eyes. It didn't matter what God said, it didn't matter what his parents said, he did what felt right to him because of his pride. He had an eye problem. It didn't matter what anyone else said. 
He did what was right in his own eyes. How often do we do that and it gets us into trouble? God, I know you have a plan. God, I know you have a purpose. God, I know that I am to be set apart, but I'm going to do things my way. I'm going to do things the way I see them. We have an eye problem. It's a big deal when it says here that he did what was right in his own eyes. In the book of Judges up until this point in the cycle of sin, when Israel would sin, it was said of them that they did what was wrong in the eyes of the Lord. Now Samson is a changing point. From Judges chapter 13 on, it says not what was wrong in the eyes of the Lord. They did what was right in their own eyes. As a matter of fact, the last verse of the book of Judges ends like this. Everyone did right in their own eyes. They had an eye problem. Let me bring that to context we can understand today. That's a very familiar place we find ourselves in this society. Sounds a little bit like this. Ah, do whatever's right in your own eyes. Have you ever heard this? Live out your own truth. Oh, whatever feels good, that's what you do. To each his own. If it makes you happy. It's easy to look and see that in our culture. But sometimes it's hard for us to see in our own eyes that sometimes we have an eye problem and we do what is right in our own eyes, that God has a different plan, but we do what we purpose in our heart. And the root of an eye problem, doing what is right in our own eyes, is really a pride problem. It's arrogant. It's prideful to say, I'm going to do things the way I see it. An eye problem. So largely throughout Samson's life, we've learned that he pretty much did whatever he saw was right. And pride becomes a problem in his life again and again. And by the end of the story today, we'll find out. And in the weeks past, we found out that although he was to be set apart to God's purpose, he had three vows he was not supposed to break. By the end of the story, he broke every one of the vows he had made to God. Because he lived through his own eyes, through his own purpose. After all, his eye problem, our eye problem, is not just an eye problem. Look right here and see what I'm saying. It's not just an eye problem. It's an eye problem. See the difference? See, we do what's right in our own eyes because we think that I know better than God. And that eye problem is centered in pride. What is at the center of pride? Don't you feel smart? Look, P-R-I-D-E. What's in the center of pride? I was proud of myself when I remembered to put this in here. Pride. What's in the center? I. It's when we think we know best. When we do things the way we see fit. God, I don't care what you say. I don't care what others say. I think I'm going to do it. Well, today we're going to look at the final act and perhaps the most famous act in the story of Samson And how he went from pride to purpose by God's grace. See, I want us to learn some truths that are in your notes this morning, some lessons from the life of Samson. The first truth I want you to see in your notes is this. Pride will often obstruct God's purpose in your life. I want you to turn to Judges chapter 16 beginning in verse 20. But before we get to verse 20, let me set the scene. 
I don't know about how many of you grew up in Sunday school, but even if you didn't grow up in Sunday school, most of us, even if it was a television show, have heard a portion of the story of Samson. And the story of Samson that we have heard throughout our life, even though his story is from Judges 13 to Judges 16, pretty much we focus on Judges 16. And here's what we heard growing up in Sunday school about the life of this guy named Samson. There was this guy named Samson. And he was a very strong man, the strongest man who ever lived. One day he was tricked by this lady named Delilah to reveal the source of his strength, and that was his hair. He went to sleep. He got a haircut. He woke up and his strength was gone. He was enslaved by the Philistines. His eyes were gouged out. He prays before God as he's being mocked in a Colosseum. He begins to regain his strength. He pushes on two pillars, and the Colosseum comes tumbling down, killing all the enemies of God, and God's name was glorified. That's pretty much what we learned, and that is the synopsis of Judges chapter 16. I want to go a little bit further as we look closer. And we see Samson's eyes once again got him into trouble in Judges 16. Once again, he goes and he sees this lady that he had no business falling in love with. But he see, he wanted her, he said, I have to have her, and he falls in love. We're introduced to this name, woman named Delilah. The leaders of the Philistine army, the enemy army, come and approach this woman that he had fell in love with, and they bribe her. Hey, this man that you're in love with, we need to know the source of his strength so that we can sustain him. And you're thinking to yourself, well, Delilah, why would you tell the source of his strength? Women, listen to me. One commentator said that they bribed with a heavy bribe. One commentator said it was equivalent to, at that time, 15 years worth of wages. Now, how many of you women would tell the stuff on your husband? You ain't thinking so bad about, the, hey, 15 years worth of wages? You tell me, whatever, I'll give him up to you, whatever. <laughs> Go and find out the source of his strength. Here, Samson is just stuck in his pride. On two different occasions, Delilah comes and says, oh, sweetie, would you tell me the source of your strength? And he would tell her a lie. She would try to attempt to subdue him in that lie. He would wake up and he would break off the bands. And twice there was two failed attempts on trying to subdue him. And a third time, oh, sweetie, and bats her eyes. I don't understand. Why don't you tell me the source of your strength? This time he goes ahead and says, okay, the source of my strength is my hair. If you cut off my hair, I'll lose my strength. What a prideful thing to do. By this time, he is thinking to himself, well, I'm strong enough. I'm powerful enough. It doesn't matter if she even really knows the source. By the way, the source of his strength was not his hair. The source of his strength was God. Every feat that, the de that, that he ever did, it says that the power of the Lord came upon him. But he starts to get prideful. And he says, I've once again got myself out of a bind again and again. And I don't care if I even tell her to cut off my hair. I am prideful enough to think I can handle this. So he says, if you cut my hair, then I'll lose my strength. He goes to sleep in his pride, gets a haircut, and wakes up with a big problem. That's where we find ourselves. Delilah cuts his hair, and then check this out in verse 20. 
After she cut his hair, she wakes Samson up and says, she said to him, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. Hey, the enemy's coming. And he woke up from his sleep and said, listen to the pride here. I will go out as the other times. I will shake myself free. But check this statement out. This is a powerful statement. It says, but he did not know that the Lord had left him. Every time before, it wasn't his power. It was the power of God. And now, all of a sudden, he finds himself with a problem because of his pride. Now he has a problem because the Spirit of the Lord was no longer giving him the strength that he used to walk into. Our eye problems, our eye problems, our pride issues can keep us from walking in the power of God and find ourselves in trouble. Verse 21 goes on to say, And the Philistine seized him. The enemy seized him. And the Philistines, check this out, gouged out his eyes. Underline that. We'll get back to that in a moment. Gouged out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza and bound him with bronze shackles, and he ground at the mill in the prison. Now, instead of walking out his purpose, he finds himself in a prison. His eye problem has made a major issue in his life. He had done all of his life what was right in his own eyes. Now he really, he thought he had an eye problem before. Now he really has an eye problem. Remember what I told you to underline? They literally gouge out his eyes and now he truly cannot see. Sitting in prison. All because of pride. Have you ever felt like like Samson? It's a pretty hopeless situation. He's blind. He's enslaved. He's in prison. I made too many mistakes. I've lived for myself too long. I've hurt so many people. It's a hopeless situation. I can't see past this prison. I can't see past this pain. I can't see, God, how could you ever use me for your purpose? Every time you strengthen me, I use it for my own purpose. How could you ever redeem my life? I have failed you too many times. Have you ever been there? Here's a truth, though, that I want you to write down in your notes. And this is where 55 people, in my mind, I was thinking 55 people should shout amen because here is the point you need to understand. And that is, it's God, if God's not finished, failure isn't final. And 55 people were supposed to say amen right there. That was 54, but we'll take it. That's all right. Just because you fell doesn't mean God's finished. In my own life, I don't know about you. I know you're all perfect. And none of you ever made mistakes. But for me, I'm glad that God's a God of second and third and fourth and fifth, and sixth and seventh and eighth and ninth and tenth, and a hundredth and a thousandth chances. I'm glad that failure doesn't have to be final in our life. Oh, you feel like a failure. You feel like, man, you've just made too many mistakes. You, you feel like, man, you, guess what? You're in good company. Did you know throughout the Bible, most everybody that God used in a powerful way for his purpose had some kind of pride problem or had some kind of failure in their lives? Think, for example, Moses. Moses was called by God to lead the children of Israel out of slavery in Egypt. And he failed again and again and again. 
He was very insecure again and again and again. He goes to God and says, I, 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 I'm even slow to speak and I, I stutter. How can you use me to be the voice piece to lead to your people out? And again and again, we see him get angry with the children of Israel. We see him get angry at God. We see him fail, but failure wasn't final. Think about the man named David. David in the Psalms was said to be a man after God's own heart, but he was an adulterer and a murderer. Failure's not final. Think of a guy named Peter. Oh, I'll never deny you. On that evening, we celebrated about communion. Right before Jesus was going to go to the cross, denied him once. The nighting twice, the nighting three times, but failure wasn't final. When Jesus came back from the grave, he goes and he restores Peter, not once, not twice, but three times. He says to Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord. Do you love me? Yes, Lord. Do you love me? Yes, you know that I love you. Then what does he say? Then Peter, if you love me, feed my sheep. Again, what he's saying is you haven't lost your purpose. Failure isn't final. What about Paul, greatest church planner that ever lived? Wrote more books in the New Testament than anybody else God used to write more books. One time he said, I am the worst of all sinners. Failure doesn't have to be fine. It's not just over spiritual either. We see not only spiritual characters in the Bible, we see in our own modern society, there are people who said, you'll not make it, but they didn't take failure as final. Think of this guy named Henry Ford. I don't know if anybody is driving a Ford or pushed a Ford to church today. Uh, anybody push your Ford to church today? Did you know he went bankrupt five times before he made a success? Think of this guy named Steve Jobs. Some of you got an iPhone today. Didn't you know he actually lost his company because there were so many failures and had to regain it later? There was once a guy named Walt Disney. You ever heard of him? Some of you are visiting, some of you are watching online or visiting Walt Disney, even though he's in the grave right now. Did you know one time he was fired from a job? And this is what his employer said. Well, you lack imagination and have no good ideals. <laughs> Michael Jordan, cut from his own high school basketball team. Even in modern day society, we see failure isn't final. How much more with God in the spiritual realm does failure not have to be final. We all fail, but the question is, do we get back up? See, in this room, there are people who feel like a failure, a divorce, a relationship that is in shambles, a job or a business venture that didn't go the way that you thought it should. You hurt somebody badly, maybe as a parent, and you say, man, it feels like it is final. But listen, if God is not finished, failure is not final. Amen. So here he is, he failed miserably, and we can relate. But remember, it was God's plan to use Samson to deliver God's people. It was God who gave him the purpose. But here Samson is, and the Bible says he's in prison. Check this out, three B's. I like when they all rhyme or all match with the same letter. He's in prison, and guess what? He's bound, he's blind. And he's bald. Some of you can relate to that last one really well. He's, he had a haircut, y'all. So in prison, he's bound up. He has no eyes. He's blind. He's bald, which was to be the source of his strength. It seemed like he had failed too much. But failure didn't have to be final. Here it is. It goes on in Judges 16, 22, very quickly. But... 
And this is, by the way, my favorite verse in this whole passage. Because although it looked like failure was final, listen to what it says. But the hair on his head began to grow again after he had been shaved. It's kind of like when you're watching the Rocky movies. Like Rocky 22. I don't know how many they have out there. But the fight seems always the same, isn't it? Looks like he's down and out. It looks like the fight is finished. And then you hear the theme song begin to play softly. And all of a sudden, things begin to turn. Next thing you know, the music begins to build a little bit more. And by the end of it, failure wasn't final. Here it is. He has had his hair shaved. It says, but... But even though it seemed hopeless, his hair began to grow again. And you can hear the music begin to say that the act is not over. God still has a purpose. You have pain. You have put yourself in this position. But God is not done. His hair began to grow again. His pain was going to fulfill God's purpose. You may not see it where you're sitting from, but God's at work. He's restoring strength, his strength. It's time for a comeback. Then get this. I want you to understand. Samson had to lose his sight before he could ever truly see. Did you catch that? All of his life, he did what was right in his own eyes. Now they've gouged out his eyes. He can't see anymore. And now all he can do is trust that, God, maybe you still have a purpose for me. He had to lose his sight before he truly saw True purpose. Before he relied. So his hair begins to grow again. We'll go through this very quickly. God is at work. Verse 23, it continues. Now the Lord of the Philistines gathered to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon their God and to rejoice and say to their God, their God has given Samson our enemy into our hand. And when the people saw him, they praised their God. For they said, our God has given our enemy into our hand, the ravager of our country, who has killed many of us. Verse 25. And when their hearts were merry, in other words, they got drunk. They're having a party. They drank a little bit too much. And when their hearts were merry, it goes on to say, they called Samson that he may entertain us. What does that mean? They called to put him in the middle of this Colosseum and make fun at him. The Bible says the original word here is to dally at him, to poke fun at him. Nothing worse than being humiliated. So they called Samson out as a person to entertain them. See, real quickly, the Samson, story of Samson, we're going to go through this very quickly. The story of Samson is a story of regret. Can you imagine the regret of Samson? Here he is in the middle of this Colosseum. He's regretting. God, why didn't I live for your purpose? Why did I live so selfishly through my own eyes? There is all kinds of regret. He could have resigned himself to just live in regret. God, you're done with me. There is no purpose in this place. Somebody today, maybe you've made so many mistakes hurt some people and you just resign yourself to live in regret but failure isn't final see instead of just living in regret a better choice is repentance repentance means doing this God I used to live for myself but I'm doing a 180 degree turn and instead of going toward my own ways I want your ways and when we repent, I turn, I go God's direction. Regret focuses on the past. Repentance focuses on your future because of God's grace. 
Regret is about shame and blame. Oh, I'm so shameful, I'll never be able to get out of this prison of regret. Or I am blaming others, it's Delilah's fault. That's what regret does. But listen, repentance does this. It focuses on our future, that God is still by his grace able to transform our life. See, regret is something in the past that we can learn from, but we don't have to live in. Ooh, I'm going to rewind that right there. I know it's almost 12, but that was good. And somebody needs to hear it. Regret is something we can learn from, but we don't have to live in. Regret is something that we can reference back to, and our past is something we can reference back to, but it's not something we have to take residence in. Learn from it. Don't live in it. Repent. Failure's not in the final. So the story of Samson, the story of restored, finally, uh, thirdly, restored purpose, God's purpose. Remember, God's purpose for Samson was to deliver his people, the people of God from the Philistines. Now, I know we're right at the time, but I want to go a little bit further. I need to know, can, raise your hand if you'll give me five more minutes. Five and ten, keep them up, 15, 20. <laughs> Sorry, I saw a pastor do that one time, and it was a little cheesy. I was like, I got to so I got, again, 5, 10, 15, no, I'm serious. Five more minutes. Story of restored purpose. Remember, God's purpose was to deliver the children of Israel through this man, Samson. So here he is in the middle of the Colosseum. Everybody's poking fun at him. They're turning to their God and mocking the one true God. In verse 25, it says this. I want you to catch this. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. Verse 25, it says, they brought him in to make fun of him, and they made him stand between the pillars. Catch this. Write this down. Even in your pain, God may be positioning you right where he needs you for his purpose. You remember the story we're about to read. He pushes the pillars down. It says, as they're mocking him, as they're turning to their God and mocking the one true God, he is being positioned right in the middle of the two pillars that he would ultimately push down. And he's in the middle of the plane. He has lost his own way. But now God is letting his strength be regained in him. Not his strength, but the strength of God through him. And he's being positioned right where he's going to need for God's purpose. God's purpose was to use Samson to deliver the children of Israel. And even in the midst of his pride, God still wasn't done fulfilling his purpose. Some of you, you have to go through that test in order to walk into that testimony. You have to go through that pain in order to walk out that full purpose. If God's not dead, if you're not dead, God is not done. Verse 26, and Samson said to the young man who held him by the hand, let me feel the pillars on which you, the house rests, that I may lean against them. Now the house was full of men and women. All the lords of the Philistines were there. And on the roof, there were about 3,000 men and women who looked on while Samson entertained. God's purpose for Samson was to deliver from the Philistines. And right now he's in the middle of a coliseum standing between the two pillars that could push that whole thing down. And all of the lords of the enemy in that one moment are gathered there. And in one moment, he has an opportunity to deliver the children of Israel by destroying all the leaders of the enemy and he's standing there bound 
blind, but purpose is being renewed. Restored purpose. Verse 28, then Samson called to the Lord, finally praised to God. Oh, Lord God. He uses here the word Yahweh. He doesn't normally use the word Yahweh, but this is what Moses said. Oh, God, our deliverer. He says, oh, Lord God, please remember me and please strengthen me once more. Somebody in this place, you need to say, God, I have done this in my own strength. I've lived for my own self. I've lived through my own eyes. But God, if you would remember me once more and once again, would you strengthen me? Oh, Lord God, please remember me. Please strengthen me only once more that I may avenge the Philistines for my eyes. And Samson grasped the two middle pillars on which the house rested, and he leaned his weight against them, his right hand on the one, his left hand on the other. Verse 30, and Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. I've lived for myself, but God, I am going to deliver your people, and I'm ready to die for your purpose. Let me die with the Philistines. Then he bowed with all his strength, and the house fell down upon the lords and upon all the people who were there. So the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those who he had killed during his life. With one push, he had restored purpose. No longer bound by pride, no longer blind to his purpose. Again, he is boldly empowered by the power of God and God's deliverance on the children of Israel. Right there in that one moment, he delivers by defeat the enemy. Here's the thing. Samson died better than he lived. How about we go ahead and start living for his purpose before we have to get to that point? Here's a man who had all kinds of failures, but failure wasn't. Do you know that Hebrews 11 is considered the faith chapter in the Bible? You see people like Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all these other heroes of the faith. You know who else's name is written in that heroes of the faith? Samson. A guy who had eye problems. A guy who had pride problems. And yet God said, listen, it's not about you, Samson. It's about my purpose and my plan. And here is the final point as the band comes today. Not only was it about restored purpose, it's a story of redemption. As the band is coming, I want you to just note this. This is the only nativity scene that we see in all of the book of Judges. What do I mean by that? I told you there were 12 judges in the book of Judges that are raised up for God's purpose. All of the other judges were already existing and God puts his hands upon them and uses them. Remember at the beginning of the story, God goes to Samson's mother and father as she was barren says I am going to handpick and you're going to conceive a son who is going to be set apart for my purpose and from his very conception he already was purposed to be a deliverer reminds me of another nativity scene where God comes to this little girl named Mary and there was another deliverer that was going to come And his name was Jesus. And he was to be set apart because he was God in the flesh. And he was going to deliver his people, but he was going to be a better deliverer. Samson was all about pride. Samson was all about self. Samson lived a life that was selfless. Jesus, our ultimate redeemer and deliverer, was selfless. 
See, the story of Samson is not for us to idolize his strength, but to to understand his weakness and relate to that. But it points to a far greater deliverer. See, some of you, you are bound in sin. Some of you are blind to your purpose. But Jesus come to be that ultimate deliverer. Samson started something he couldn't finish, but Jesus, who had a great... Hey, we know Samson to be the greatest, strongest man of all the Bible, but actually Jesus was stronger than him. But you know how he showed his strength? Restraint. The Bible says while he was dying on the cross, he could have called legions of angels and they would have come and taken him away. But his love for you and for me compelled him to stay. And he died on that cross because Samson was all about serving self. But Jesus was all about serving you and serving me. Philippians 2, 8 through 10, and we'll close. And being found in human form, he humbled himself, Jesus, become obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him a name that is above every name, so that in the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God our Father. He who should have been served came to give his life and serve and die on the cross first. For God so loved the world that he came to deliver you and me. That's where true redemption is found. It's where we go from pride, living for self, to his purpose. It's not about us. Samson's not the hero. By grace, you have been saved. That not of ourselves. It is a free gift of God through Jesus Christ our Lord. I want you to bow your head and close your eyes. I'm going to have somebody come and close us out in just a moment. I know that we are a moment or so over this service time, but listen, we don't ever want to miss what God wants to speak, and we'll do whatever we need to do to be in his presence and not miss his moments. And in this place, for the non-believer, your starting point is this. God, I've been living for pride, for self. I've been living through my own eyes. But today I want to surrender to you. It's in surrendering to him that you find true strength. Today as we celebrate a communion together, you need to admit you need him, that he died on the cross even though he had no sin, and confess him to come into your heart as Lord. That's your starting point. For others who are Christ followers, you say, man, see, so I love Jesus, but I've been living in a, a, a... consumed by pride. I've been living through my own eyes for my own purpose. And God, right now, I need you to stir something in myself. I don't want to follow Samson and live for self. I want to follow Jesus and live selfless. That's what God is speaking to you. As a church, as we continue to move toward the fall and we're expanding and all of the things that we're doing, we're not doing that for our own purposes. We're doing that to advance his purposes. God, I want you and your kingdom to be established. I want your purpose to be revealed. I want you to bow your head and close your eyes. And right now, whether you need to give your life to Jesus, we're just going to take a moment. Or if you would say, man, see, so I'm a Christ follower, but pride's been an issue. I've been living for myself. And God's calling me to correct course in some area of my life. I want you to boldly stand, uh, raise your hand right where you're at. Keep it up. Don't put it down. Let me pray over you today. I see that hand. Whether it's salvation, I see those hands. 
Maybe it's a pride issue, God. I, I just need you to, I need you to correct some courses. I, I repent. I don't want to live a life of regret. I'm going the other directions. I'm turning a 180. I see those hands. Now, as I'm praying, you begin to confess. Father, right now, for those who need you as their Lord and Savior, I pray that they would be so bold to say, God, I know that in myself, pride is a problem. I need you to be the forgiveness of my sins. I confess and admit that I need you. I believe you are the Lord coming to my heart. God, there are others in this place. Relationships are in shambles. Situations are in shambles because of pride issues. God, we confess those sins. We confess those issues. And you said, when we confess our sins, you're faithful and you're just to forgive us and cleanse us. God, I pray that you would give practical steps on how we can walk out, surrender to you this week. And we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.